covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as we have our first edition of the podcast since the baseball season officially got underway. It is good to actually have real baseball to talk about with you and that's exactly what we're going to do over the course of the next hour or so our housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast if you want to get in contact with me you can do so uh, via twitter that's generally the best way to reach out at matt Pauley on air m-a-t-t-p-a-u-l-e-y on air if you do listen to the podcast on apple podcast if you can subscribe and leave a ranking and leave a review and all that sort of stuff that would be helpful as well that helps us move up the charts a bit so more people are able to uh, find the podcast and we want as many people listening to the podcast as possible baseball is here the brewers don't have a great opening weekend they lose two of three to the cubs and uh, some tough offensive days in there as well they got shut out on opening night on friday three nothing on sunday they lose by a nine one score that uh those were the bookends on a pretty solid eight three win on saturday And a few things kind of jump out at me from the first three games. And let me be really clear on this. You can't take away that much information from three games. And every game has that much more importance. You know, a lot of being made of every game is worth 2.7 games. And I get that, but it's still three games into the season. And even though in a 60-game season you can't really ease into the year the way you can in a 162-game schedule, you're still not able to take much away from a three-game season or the first three games of the year. Like, I, I am not concerned that Christian Yelich has one hit through the first three games of the season. I'm not concerned with what uh, Keston Hira is doing. We'll leave the concern for a little bit more time down the line if anybody is still struggling. I don't. That's going to be something I kind of try to figure out I am the king of mentioning small sample size. That's one of my things. If you have listened to my postgame show, you know that we can be two months into the season and I will still be talking about small sample size. And I think I'm correct when I do that. Um, What's a small sample size this year? Because it's still a nine-inning game. It still takes the, the time that it would normally take for players to be ready to go. What? But it... But as small sample size, does that even exist this year? And how how are clubs, not just the Brewers, but how are clubs going to deal with players who maybe get off to slow starts? Uh, uh, what what would have happened had when Travis Shaw struggled so much with the Brewers and they just kept putting him out there on an every game basis? How would have they handled that in a sixty game season where there's not as much runway on the backside to be able to? make up some 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 games that may be lost because you weren't getting the production that you wanted to get. If you're a Brewers fan, you hope that the Brewers don't find that out this year, that everybody that they're counting on goes out there and does at least what they're kind of being expected to do. But if players do go into slumps, and let's be honest, that's going to happen, if and when they go into slumps, how long do you stick with them? How long do you allow them to continue to work through things inside of games? That's going to be one of the most really compelling narratives of this season. I'm kind of stuck on something, and I apologize. You know, just as human beings, sometimes we get really focused in on something. The thing I am locked in on right now, the thing I'm focused in on is 
how the lack of fans is impacting the actual game that is being played. And I'll be honest, when I was watching on Friday night, it felt weird. It didn't it didn't feel even like a regular season baseball game with no fans and everything. It got a little bit more normal on Saturday and to a certain extent on Sunday as well. Saturday, there was more energy in the ballpark. Obviously, the Brewers scored eight runs. It was a tight game for a little while. You had kind of the socially distanced kerfuffles, what I'm calling it, uh, and that certainly raised tensions and everything. But Overall, I think one of the things to really take note of during the season is the intensity that is needed inside of a a regular season baseball game. Is it going to be there with no fans in the stands? And I think the teams that are successful this year are going to be the ones that can find that motivation. And we've already seen teams and, and guys you know trying to make noise and dugouts and just trying to lift up the overall energy that's easier said than done and we're talking about that three games into a season what's going to happen when you're 30 games in the season for the Brewers specifically and we're going to talk about this a fair amount in this podcast their schedule for the first five or six weeks is really challenging they're going to play the Cardinals at home in their home opener this upcoming Friday. That's coming off an off day on Thursday. So Friday they'll play St. Louis on July 31st. They have one off day between then and when they play Detroit on September 2nd. They'll finally then be off on September 3rd. But from Friday, July 31st to Wednesday, September 2nd, the Brewers have one off day. On Monday, August 17th, that's going to be a really tough stretch. And you're coming to the ballpark every day, and there's not fans in the stands. Like, that's just, it's going to be a challenge for the Brewers. And I think we can say this about a lot of teams in baseball the Brewers are not alone in that type of schedule. It's going to be a challenge to find that energy and find that intensity. And yeah, I know these guys are paid good money, and that's that's part of what they need to do. But it's just, it's different not having fans in the stands. And I've been Really trying to watch. I'm looking forward to the Brewers being back home. I will be able to be in Miller Park for uh, most, if not all, the games. And I want to feel. Like, I just want to feel kind of the way it goes. I'll be honest. So at times during the first three games of the season, I would, you know, I have access, I'm, I'm watching the game on TV before I do the post-game show. Uh, but I've, I've got the radio feed there as well. And... There would be times where I would I would listen to the radio feed and just kind of close my eyes because when I'm watching and there's no fans, it, it felt different. And because Major League Baseball, I thought, did a pretty good job, and I guess specifically the folks at Wrigley Field who are in charge of the, uh, the pumped-in crowd noise, I thought they did a pretty good job, at least from a radio broadcast standpoint, of making it sound very similar to what a baseball game would sound like. So it was it was nice for me. I enjoyed it. Was it was comforting? If that's it's kind of a weird thing to say, but it was it was comforting for me to put on some headsets with the uh, with the radio broadcast on and just kind of close my eyes and just listen to what was going on because at that moment things certainly felt uh, a little bit more real. As far as the actual baseball that's being played, what do we say? Yeah, I I really liked. Uh, what we saw from Corbin Burns on Saturday, and I know, I know, I know, I know that uh, from a 
from a standpoint of length. He did not give you a ton of it in going three and a third innings. But considering what he did as a starter last year, I thought that was a huge step forward. I don't feel the same way about Freddie Peralta. And for Peralta, it just felt different to me. I was more disappointed with Peralta. And again, it doesn't even have so much to do with length. Uh, Peralta only got one less out than Corbin Burns. But especially the way it ended with Peralta, I just, I wasn't, it was not the start that uh, I felt like with Burns, it was a step forward. The I didn't feel that way with Peralta outside of that slider that he had working at times, and that's a really big deal for him because for him to be an effective starter, he's going to need more than two pitches. So to see that slider do what it was doing at times uh, in his day, that was a, that was a good thing. Eric Lauer on Sunday looked really good, and we're going to talk about this in a bit. Uh, Tim Muma from Brew Crew Ball, he is our featured guest, and he's going to join us in, in a few minutes. Um uh, what they do with starting pitching, again, kind of going back to what I was talking about, the one-off day. They play July 31st. They play September 2nd. They have one off day in between those two dates. How does that impact starting pitching? And right now, we're seeing some injuries, and we're seeing some ineffectiveness from pitching across Major League Baseball. Uh, guys going on the injured list, Justin Verlander is going to be out for a while. He could miss the rest of the season. He might be able to uh, come back. Um, a bunch of other guys, Clayton Kershaw, and I know it was a it was a weight room incident, but still he's he's banged up. Uh, Corey Kluber, Steven Strasburg, uh, Shohei Otani, just he he's not injured, but he certainly was not effective in his performance on Sunday. So you you got guys who got ramped up really quickly. I'm going to use the word intensity again. You know, even if these players during the entire coronavirus shutdown were continuing to throw and do what they needed to do to stay in shape. You don't have that intensity, and now they're trying to ramp up to that very quickly, and that can cause some injuries. So what do the Brewers do to try to avoid that? I think being able to not ask uh, your starting pitchers, pitching overall, it doesn't have to just be starters, it can certainly be relief pitchers as well, trying to ease the load that's on these guys, that's important. And if you can go to some piggyback situations, maybe – piggyback Eric Lauer and Freddie Peralta, whoever starts, starts, and then you got the other guy coming in, you might be able to cover most of the game between those two guys. Maybe the same thing happens. And this was this idea was thrown out by Adam McAlvey. He kind of asked uh, Brewers manager Craig Council a question somewhat alluding to it uh, on Sunday after the game. Maybe when Brett Anderson is back off the injured list, you've got he and Corbin Burns that combine for a game. And you're not asking either of those guys to throw more than four or five innings. You're giving a bunch of bullpen guys the day off if they're able to cover the whole game or most of it. So just the way pitching is going to be handled and the stress in which managers are comfortable putting upon pitchers, that's going to be another storyline to really keep an eye out on as we uh, do move forward. As mentioned, Tim Muma, he is our featured guest this week here on the podcast. So let's go ahead and get to it. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X-Trains, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to uh, welcome this guy back onto the podcast. He is a contributor at Brew Crew Ball. You can follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma. That's M-U-M-A. It is Tim Muma. Hey, Tim, great to have you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy to have Ball back, and always a pleasure to talk to you, Matt. 
Let's start with kind of the opening weekend, and I, I'm, I don't think you can take much from, from wins and losses through the first three games of the season. If you disagree, well, we can get into that. But what do you take away from the oddity that is Major League Baseball in 2020 through the first three games of the season? To me, the, the kind of fun part of it is the, the little things that maybe people didn't necessarily think of, like even Saturday between the Brewers and Cubs with some of the, the chippiness that happened that, you know, that's right, you're going to hear all the chatter, you know, on the field. And not necessarily us fans, but the players are going to hear each other more than they would throughout the, the course of a, of a season because of the fans, obviously, just the general noise that's going on. Uh, so some of that stuff, even strange not seeing the ball being thrown around the horn, mm-hmm. obviously the no fans, obviously... You know, it, it's interesting too. Like uh, they have the, they're still doing the PA announcement of players and their walk-up music and all that. And even though, I guess it's just to try to keep it as normal as possible. So, for me, it's really been fascinating to see all those like little different things. Obviously, the ball. You know, watching them play, it it it, it just brings a huge smile to my face to, to be able to sit down and and watch a game, even if hey, you're gonna have those ups and ups and downs that the Brewers have already had through the first series. Um, but you know, overall, it's like I said, it's just fun to be watching. It's it's a little bit different because of the, the setup and the, the big stadiums that are empty. And, um, you know, going forward, I, I assume the players will get a little bit more used to it and it'll kind of be second nature for us fans watching and listening. And, and you know, doing everything they can with trying to have some crowd noise, whether it be on the radio or on TV. And, um, you know, Fox Fox trying to do the, the virtual fans at first. So I, was like, I was like, that might be cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm not really a fan of that. Leave that to MLB the show. Other than that, uh, you know, I'm fine with the empty seats and, and we'll go from there. But... Um, I, I'm just happy, again, to have the game back and be able to watch on a daily basis. Something I'm really locked in on is I, I'm trying to figure out how the actual game might be impacted by the lack of fans. And to me, and again, I could just be looking too far into things because that's that's what you do when you're dealing with something brand new. To me, it still feels like maybe they're trying to learn how to bring the same intensity to the game uh, when, when there's – when there's nothing going on in the stands. And I thought about that Sunday when uh, they were very aggressive at the plate and they, they did not force Chatwood to work as often as they, they would have before. Do you agree, disagree with that? Do you feel like maybe, again, I use the word intensity because I, I don't have another word to use, but is there something missing in the actual game that maybe is a result of fans not being in the stands? I think it's fair to question that and to bring that up, and I think – it's probably going to be a player-by-player basis as far as are they able to bring that intensity, are they able to sort of self-motivate as opposed to purely adrenaline of the fans, the buzz of the crowd, you know, how that might all play a a factor. Of course, all these guys are super competitive. You don't get to this level unless you are competing on a a daily basis, a pitch-by-pitch basis, and I'm sure – you know, when Corbin Burns throws a, a fastball that just keeps riding in on you and drills you or comes up near your head, that wakes you up pretty quick, and I think you're pretty focused in. Yeah. But I, I think that is fair that, you know, when a closer comes in in a late-game situation in a regular season, um, you know, there's the, the crowd noise, there's the actual feel of the pressure. Is it different when he gets to the mound? Maybe not. Maybe, in, maybe not in that particular situation. But perhaps, you know, bases loaded, two outs in the fifth, where – you know, it's an important part, but it's not everybody knows and everybody's on the edge of their seat. Maybe that doesn't impact them as much with an empty uh, stadium. So I do think it's fair to question and ask that, and each guy probably has to figure out a way for himself to kind of get into that mode and feel it. Uh, I, it did seem definitely at the Cubs, more so than the Brewers, or maybe it's just because the microphone was closer to the Cubs, 
it seems like they're trying to really drum up their own energy for those at bats. Almost like you think of like a high school or college game where you know you hear the guys chattering, hey, good guy, kid, you know all that kind of stuff that you don't normally hear. It might not even be happening as much in a regular situation. Uh, it seemed like they were trying to create that a little bit, maybe help with that idea of, of competition and the feeling of your team behind you. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it will possibly play a factor to some guys. Uh, you know, even the idea, I wonder, with, uh, with the empty stands as far as fielding the ball, catching fly balls, hitting with the, the backdrops that there are. Obviously, there's no fans there at all. Does that change somehow as far as depth perception and day versus night and how that all plays a role. Um, I guess it remains to be seen. I'm sure everybody's going to be studying those things as, as much as they can, and they'll probably try to figure out a way that uh, if there aren't any fans, does the ball carry more? Does the ball carry less than the stadium? Uh, one way or the other, there's going to be baseball people figuring all that out. You know, Brian Anderson said on the TV broadcast on Sunday when he was talking about Saturday's little whatever it was the 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 socially distanced kerfuffle between the two teams he referred to that as uh maybe performance art and i i think there's maybe some truth to that because maybe that's a way to get a team fired up and get locked in if you can find a way to take offense to something the other team is doing and everybody can kind of get that heart racing a little bit maybe that can help mimic what a normal game would feel like sure i mean i think that happens you know, in every other season as well. You know, that's when some people believe that a manager goes out there and, and argues an umpire and it gets the team fired up. You know, maybe they've been going through a, a week-long malaise and that really gets them fired up. So similar case here, right? It's it's quiet, there's not much ambiance, and, and you just need something to wake you up, and maybe that's a way to, to create that, that narrative, if you will. Uh, I know actually my wife, in watching some of the games, you know, she said, I wonder if players are going to argue less with umpires or umpires will be less argumentative also because who would you be doing it for? Like, obviously if you're upset with a call, you're going to say something, but kind of that show and the idea of a, you know, an ump show, um, who you're performing for. Cause there's no, no fans in the stands. I guess there's obviously people watching on TV. So it does create almost this alternate universe, if you will, where, as you said, maybe there's some more creation of, of energy and, and getting pumped up and motivated, and maybe in some cases it's like, well, what are we what are we doing this for? What's the point actually of of fighting or arguing? Um, I mean, for me, that game on on Saturday, honestly, the the one time um, I think I think it was Contreras after Bias had gotten hit, you know, the ball rode up and in, and it's like I know it's it's frustrating, man, and I I don't want to get hit with that pitch either, but he clearly has no control right now of his fastball. He just hit a guy. He's not throwing at you now too, so. So to your point, maybe he's just trying to drum it up. Maybe it's some machismo thing or, or whatever. But uh, obviously, it didn't work for them on Saturday, and maybe it carried over into today, where the Brewers, uh, you know, didn't match up at all. Yeah, I did. I mean, I feel stupid asking this question. It's three games into the season, but <laughs> any worry about the the lack of offense in two of the three games? I think it naturally goes through your head. The thing I actually hang my hat on more than anything is that Hira and Yelich are what, like two for twenty-five. Yeah. Like I guess I'd be happy winning or winning one out of three games on the road against a good team when you're really your two best, most consistent hitters are two for twenty-five. So I think if anything, you take that away as, as somewhat of a positive. Everyone else, I think it's going to be all predicated on matchups and hot hands and you know, counsel. We all believe is. is He's pretty strong with that, so um, you know I don't know if there's much concern there necessarily, but it's not going to be very often where your two three hitters are not hitting the ball and you're going to win a bunch of games because 
you know, on the opener on Friday, the pitching was good. I mean, get up three runs a game, I'll be happy with that, uh, obviously. Um, today, not so much got away from them. Uh, but what does stand out is they scored zero and one runs in those games. But I think it's obviously too early to tell, like you said. You get a little more concerned only because you understand that you have fewer games, although with the expanded playoffs, you know, it's not as big a deal probably now to, to have a little bit of a slump. But uh, I think we we have to be far more concerned if, if Yelich and Hira you know, had even average performances during the series and they still were struggling to put up runs. I think it's just one of those things. Um, you know, I, I actually mentioned on Twitter a couple times it seemed like the Cubs were giving the Brewers plenty of pitches to hit over the weekend. They are just missing up. So sometimes that's the way it goes, especially early in the season, and especially in a season like this one where it's you know anybody's guess who's going to react well and who's going to struggle. All right, so um, I, I ask you this, and I kind of ask you this because we agree on a lot of things. One of the things we don't always yep. agree on is the importance of lineup construction. You put a lot more into it than I do, and that's fine. I like talking to people who disagree with me on stuff like that. All that being said, there was already a fair amount made of Eric Sogard in the leadoff spot uh, in the first few games. Uh, did you have any issues with the lineup in the first few games? Truthfully, not really. I was surprising. I, I definitely would say that. My guess is, again, looking at matchups or just what Council has seen, he, he felt in general Sogard was going to give him a better chance to get on base, and that's all you really want is a guy on base in front of Yelich and Hira and so on down the line. Um, beyond that, honestly, no. I, I didn't thought about it much. As, as long as Yelich is in that two spot, which is I think he should always be, because I do, I do wholeheartedly believe that two spots should be your your best hitter, it's the most impactful spot. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I think it's too early to kind of figure that stuff out. Um, I guess I was a little surprised today that maybe he didn't go to like a Gamble or Kane up top just because they had been hitting the ball well, at least yesterday, and seeing the ball well. Um, and you might see changes as you go forward. Um, the last article I wrote for, for the site was a while ago, unfortunately. just haven't been able to put pen to paper, so to speak. But uh, I did talk about what I thought was going to be lots of, as we know, lots of matchups that Council's going to look at with a number of the positions. And we don't always know what numbers they're looking at or what exactly they, they might be seeing as far as, you know, this guy throws X amount of change-ups and Sogard's better hitting those than, than Kane is. Um, so I think a lot goes into it, and, and especially with the short season, they're looking to, to really win every matchup possible. Um, so we'll see what happens as they go to Pittsburgh and, and throughout the year. But I'm sure there will be plenty of moving around throughout the lineup as we go throughout the season. Seems like the general consensus is some excitement about Corbin Burns and a little bit of disappointment about Freddie Peralta, even though neither gave the team a lot of length after what Burns did last year. It was nice to see him be pretty darn effective, even in a short stint. Uh, but then you had Peralta, who certainly uh, the slider at one point looked really good, and that's an important development for him because he's somebody who's got to have more than two pitches. But he kind of ran out of gas towards the end of his day on Sunday and walked a couple guys. Do you agree with that basic uh, sentiment when we're talking about those two young pitchers? Yeah, I mean, I still love Burns as far as, projecting and, and seeing what he can be. I know he had, obviously, a really rough go of it last year, and everyone's trying to figure it out. Because his stuff is so electric, you can see he's such a competitor out there, and I just think that's eventually going to all come together. And, and he was, again, a little wild to begin with yesterday, but uh, you know, kind of found his, his groove, and he did give them you know a handful of outs. We know it's going to be a little weird early in this season, too, as far as how long guys are going to go, and 
um, you know, the efficiency of their pitches are going to play a factor. And then as far as Peralta, you know, you do look at both guys in, in somewhat of a similar fashion as far as you like some of their stuff. They've shown you flashes of greatness, and then they frustrate the heck out of you. And, um, you know, I think in general I would see Peralta as more of the wild card, that he's going to be up and down. He's going to have, you know, fantastic days, and then he's going to have days that you just you wonder why you keep him in the rotation. I know everyone was excited after his, his winter ball season, which feels like it might have been two years ago. Yeah. I, it's hard to remember that everyone was jacked. Like, oh, my God, he's going so great in winter ball, and, and he's, he's found another pitch. And um, So, again, it's going to be it's going to be looking at it from the long view. There's a reason they signed him to that contract, because it was very team-friendly, but they also felt like, hey, if he does figure it out, even for a year or two, we're getting so much value out of this guy. Um, and I also wonder if, just both of them are a little amped up. I mean, I do think Burns and Peralta do feed off the excitement of, even though there's no crowd there, it's, it's the opening series, it's the Cubs, it's Wrigley, it's, it's your chance to prove yourself again. So that might have played a little bit of factor, too, and a little bit of their wildness and, and not being able to be as efficient throughout the, their outings. Um, but I think you still got to roll with them and give them chances, um, and they're going to get opportunities, I'm sure, whether it be starting or in release, because Council's going to keep going with the outgetter mentality and, and whatever that might mean for the next you know, 57 games. Um, you know, he'll mix and match. And, and I think, uh, I think you're just looking at hoping that that talent and the, the control, the poise, the mental side, it, it sort of starts to, to come together versus, um, you know, just relying so much on, on stuff when it doesn't always work because you can't control what you're doing. All right. So we're already seeing a ton of injuries with pitchers early on in the season. Our guys being ineffective. There's different reports on Justin Verlander if he's going to be out for the whole season or not. Mm-hmm. There's other guys who have gotten injured early on. Kershaw's on the injured list. He had Strasburg had an issue. Kluber had an issue. Uh, Otani did not. He didn't even record a, a single out in his uh, first Love appearance it. of the season. I and maybe I'm wrong. I'm wrong a lot. I I connect that to the very, very short summer camp and just trying to ramp up these pitchers at, at such a fast speed. So I, I want to go with that premise for a second to ask you this question. They're going to play next Friday at home, July 31st, or this Friday at home uh, against St. Louis. Between then and September 2nd, so over a month later, they have one off day on August 17th. They're going to play every day but one from July 31st to September 2nd. What do you think the starting rotation and the pitching is going to look like during that time, just knowing that if you look at what's going on around baseball, uh, these pitchers might not be stretched out, or even more important than that, they may just not be all the way ramped up where it seems like they're more at risk for injury. Sure. I could really envision with the lack of off days that council and his staff decided to kind of go off script a little bit with, I don't want to say just a full fledged six man rotation or, or something to that effect, but I could see where it's, you know, you're going to have Woodruff, he's your horse no matter what. And then I could see with, with whoever else it might be, you know, you figure Hauser's in there, Lauer looked good today. Burns is going to get his shot. You still got guy, you know, a guy like Anderson still going to be in there throwing Lindblom. So I think he's going to really utilize those arms in, in ways that we probably can't even predict right now, uh, especially with his lack of breaks. Um, you know, it might be a thing where he piggybacks two starters in a game, yeah, so that he can get a lot of length from them that way, and that way you're saving some of your top and bullpen arms. Uh, yeah, I, 
again, council and the rest of the staff, you know, they're all all in when it comes to getting out and just finding a way to make it work with the entire staff. And that's going to include, you know, they're sending guys, sending guys down, quote unquote, down the alternate site uh, and bringing guys up and, and utilizing arms that way. Uh, I, I think that is part of what people talked about in thinking, well, the Brewers might have an advantage here with this kind of strange short season that they're willing to do that and they have experience doing it. And, uh, you know, they trust in what their processes uh, are and, and if they're going to work. So I would expect something, like I said, a little strange, six, seven man rotation, or you're piggybacking a couple starters and, and you're trying to get that length in, in some of the games and in other games you are letting your bullpen do the work. Because to your point, I mean, there's always going to be pitching injuries. You can never have enough pitching. And then with a season like this where it's, it's just even more questionable as far as who's ready, who's not, you got to be ready for anything. And that's where I think the Brewers in general, that's a strength of theirs. Yeah, Adam McCalvey asked a question to Craig Council alluding to this, and then he tweeted about it as well. And I think, I think McCalvey might have been on to something. I, I think there's a real possibility because really when Anderson's back, they've got seven guys who can really give yep. you starters innings. You could do something where you could piggyback uh, Peralta and Lauer, whoever starts first. You could do the same thing with, say, Brett Anderson and Corbin Burns. If one guy gives you five innings and the other guy gives you four, you got the whole game covered. If one, if they both give you four innings, you've got all but one inning covered. Like There, there seems to be some – I would think there would be a benefit to utilizing some of these starters in a way to really try to lessen the workload across the board. Yeah, 100% agree, and – you know, the truth is, with really none of these guys except for Woodruff, could you really right now say he's ace-like? I'm not saying Woodruff is an ace, but everyone else, they have their strengths, but they definitely have flaws. There's nobody there that you would want to necessarily run out there consistently for seven innings. Not that Council ever wants to do that really anyway with the you know third time through the order, but um, again, it's the idea of using the strengths of your team and using the entire roster. And, you know, I feel like you know, even the two type of piggybacks you mentioned there it's the idea of using a kind of a soft tosser and then going to a hard throw or vice versa and maybe that isn't as effective when you get to the big leagues um, but that's still talked about it, it just giving them that different look you got a hard throwing righty and you go soft tossing lefty uh if it takes them just if it takes them two three innings to adjust to that that's another advantage uh it definitely works at the the younger levels you know youth in high school and and probably even college. And so maybe it's not as effective in the pros, but at least, again, it's a strategy. It gives you another look. It keeps the hitters sort of on their toes a little bit. And uh, to your point, then, you're extending uh, you're extending the, the strengths of two pitchers versus trying to, you know, piecemeal, okay, four innings from this guy because he's not going to be stretched out. And then we got to use, what, three relievers, four relievers, or we got relievers going multiple innings. How does that affect us? We don't have an off day for, you know, a week and a half. Uh, so I do think that makes a ton of sense, and considering, like you said, they essentially have seven starters, um, there's no reason not to use them in that way, and if it doesn't work, then, then you obviously can adjust. I always say every time that bullpen door opens, you're risking that whoever's about to run out is going to have a bad day. Like I, I've always been of the belief to use as few pitchers as possible. That doesn't mean leave guys in too terribly long, but when that bullpen door swings open, that guy might have a bad day and you might lose a game because of it. That is, I think that's one of the biggest fears, if you can call it a fear. We're just talking about baseball, but uh, from a manager's perspective is keeping a guy in too long 
versus trusting him because, as you said, he's had success and he's he's warm and he's loose and he's he's in the moment versus a new guy coming in who you don't know. Maybe he doesn't have it that day. Maybe he's not feeling it. Maybe the matchup is just is wrong or bad. Um, I, I think everybody talks about that. I think it's a little less now that they used to say a manager, his only real job is to manage that bullpen. I think it's a little more than that now, the way baseball is played with matchups especially. Uh, but in general, I, I completely agree with that sentiment that it's you're essentially adding to the risk when you bring a new guy in because you don't know if he's going to have it that day. And, and we've seen that plenty, even if it's Hater. You, yeah. know, you obviously want to get to him and bring him in, but he's going to have his off days too. So if you've got a guy who's thrown a, an inning and a third and he's throwing well and you feel he's still got it, it might be better off sticking with him unless the matchup really screams you got to make that change. So, again, we – I think you got to trust counsel and his staff with that, uh, but they're probably going to get burned once in a while when it comes to the, the pitching changes as well. All right, let me finish you off with this. Uh, we're going to be dealing with this all season long. Uh, the Marlins had a deal on Sunday where four players tested positive. They were on the road in Philadelphia. They did not travel uh, home. Instead, they're waiting for the next round of tests to come back because four players, there could be more players in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, we're we're four days into the year, and something like this has already happened. How concerned are you right now that Major League Baseball is going to be able to get through this entire year? I've definitely always had my concerns with it getting through, whether it's because they literally can't because there's so many of these issues where guys are testing positive and it's creating somewhat of a, a spread within the team or maybe two teams because they you know they played a whole series and and however it might work in that way. Um, and then there's the other side of it, fair and unfair of the optics. At some point, is it is it get to a point where Major League Baseball or the Players Union or someone says, you know, maybe we're not to this point of, of widespread infections within the league, but this is not looking good. We, we need to stop it now, and we need to sort of get out ahead of it, and, and unfortunately that's going to cost us a season. So I guess, obviously, as we started games, you feel more positive that it's going to work, despite this little maybe hiccup with, with the Marlins, and I know the Reds had some stuff going on. Um, I think you have to give it more time and see how the protocols work, how the processes work. If you're missing some guys here or there, I know it stinks, and it's, it's new because it's, it's not just an injury, and it can be you know spread to other players. Like, you pull a hammy, you're not spreading that to your teammate, obviously. Uh, but I think for right now, you mostly need to look at it as, you know, a, like almost like a freak injury. Uh, you know, challenge last year. I mean, when does that happen when you fall a ball off your leg and, and you busted that badly? Um, unfortunately, that kind of stuff happens. So this year right now, the that's the quote-unquote weird injury would be COVID. If it gets too far and widespread, then obviously you have to re- reassess that, and, and that's when you get into the danger zone. But you know, I think you've got to get into the season at least – you know, two, three weeks where you see how it does impact games, how it does impact teammates and maybe other players from other teams. And, um, you know, obviously I don't get paid to do any of that stuff or figure that out. So you just hope that the people who are in charge are on top of it and make the best decision for, you know, the league, the players, the managers, everybody involved. And um, I guess for me, I just pray that it, it does work itself out and everybody is as safe as they can be. But but you know, get through the season because, um, you know, those guys want to be there and, and obviously uh, all of us fans and, and we like to, to see the guys out there and, and have that distraction from other things that are going on. 
He is Tim Muma. You can uh, read him at uh, Brew Crew Ball, contributor to uh, the website, and also uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma, M-U-M-A. Tim, always great to uh, have you on. I appreciate your insight on things and look forward to doing this again real soon. Same here, Matt. Uh, just happy to have the Brewers back. You know, you said hopefully get to this season and uh, see where things fall. Tim Muma joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's just about uh, going to do it. Here's what's coming up for the Brewers this week. A three-game series in Pittsburgh against the Pirates going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. All three of those games are going to start at 6.05 Central. Thursday is an off day. By the way, Thursday is going to mark the return of Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. We have not done that since uh, sports shut down. 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock coming up on Thursday night, Brewers Weekly. And then the Brewers are at home for their first five home games of the season beginning this Friday. We'll start with a three-game series against St. Louis. Uh, the game will start at 1.10 in the afternoon on Friday, then 6.10 on Saturday, and 1.10 again on Sunday before they welcome in the White Sox for uh, a couple games before they hit the road once again. And we'll talk more about that uh, next week as that takes you through just about the entire week. My appreciation to Tim Muma for joining us on the podcast. My appreciation to you for being tuned in. And we look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.